We're in Philemon. We're in the, the main body of this letter today. And um, I'll tell you right now that sometimes something happens between Thursday when, when I give everything to Cinda and this morning, you know, on Sunday when I get ready to preach it. So you will find some stark differences between what's in your order of worship and what I'm going to say. <laughs> it's, it's not like some pastors I know who, you know, on Saturday come up with a completely different sermon on a completely different text. It's the same text, it's the same most body, but kind of how I'm expressing it is different. And one thing that's changed is the title. So when Matt throws this up on the old internet there, it's, it's the gracious community, not the forgiving community. And that hopefully will make sense as we go on. All right. Verses 8 through 21 of Philemon. Hear the word of our God. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Thus ends the reading of God's word for this morning. Let's pray. Father, indeed, this is a, a text that is in some ways hard for us to wrap our brains around because it deals with something to which many of us have no experience. Father, I ask that your spirit would be at work amongst us this morning, not just to grasp the historical context of this, but to see how you intended it not just for Philemon, but you also intended it for us. Give us wisdom to see how this ought to shape us and not just Philemon. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes uh, good things happen. 
And we don't know what's going to happen because those good things happen. Years ago, in a place far, far away called Winter Haven, Florida, uh, we had received a check in the mail one day. It was kind of interesting. It was from a lawyer. And what had happened is that there was a man in the community who had passed away. And that man uh, was an orphan when he was a child. And he had achieved some measure of wealth, but did not have his own family in which to give it. And so what he did is he parceled it out amongst various churches within the county and asked them to establish what basically a needy child fund. So we, the small church, got this decent-sized check that we were supposed to disperse to needy children. Since we weren't a very large congregation, we didn't often hear about needy children. So we helped a few people that we heard about. But when time came for us as a church to kind of close, one of the things that the members of the church decided to do, out of their love and generosity for myself and for Amy, because we were in the process of adopting, uh, we didn't know who we were going to adopt yet, um, but they were still, we had filed all of our paperwork and everything. They decided to give the remaining balance of this needy children fund to us for the purpose of the adoption. And at first, Amy and I were, I mean, we didn't ask for this. So we were very excited to hear this. We sensed that it was a great blessing of the Lord and we were thankful. And then something happened the former treasurer of the church who had moved away after we relocated, so first we relocated, then she relocated, approached me, uh, you know, not physically, but said that this, she, she believed that this really didn't fit the purpose for which the gift was given. And now we had a conflict. Something that was intended to be a great blessing had suddenly turned into the source of conflict. Funny how that happens. And funny how sometimes, well, that's not an uncommon thing. We see it right here, essentially, in Philemon. The big idea this morning is that the church is a gracious community to be marked by love, trust, and forgiveness. And we're going to walk our way through those three things this morning, seeing them in Paul's letter and how they flesh out or should flesh out in the life of the church. And the first one I want to flesh out is that love motivates the gracious community. It's evident from the way in which Paul starts his letter. Remember, he does not start it as he did the letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle, he says, Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus. Wise leadership. And Paul was an example of wise leadership. Wise leadership knows when to play the authority card and when not to play the authority card. When he wrote the letter to the Colossians, he he played that authority card. I'm an apostle. What I'm saying here is important precisely because Paul was dealing with issues of doctrine. And so he needed to speak authoritatively to the people in the church in Colossae. But this is different. This is not a matter of doctrine. It's not a matter of necessarily of sin. And so Paul takes a much lighter approach to things. He's not playing the authority card. He's playing a very different card. The problem was not, as we, as Paul mentions, a lack of boldness on his part because he, he says that Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you. Paul had a boldness. He knew what was right. He knew what to do, and yet he didn't force Philemon to do it. 
does not command him. But rather, he says, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And so, Paul's love for Philemon is what motivates Paul to not play the authority card, but rather to appeal to him, a word that's repeated twice in this text. Paul wants to get the, the idea. He's, he's entreating him. He's asking him. He's not demanding of him of any, anything here. And so I th- believe it's very important for us to recognize that the church, which has been loved by God, particularly as we see in the cross, As John notes a couple of times in his first epistle, uh, this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We as the church have been loved deeply and greatly in Jesus Christ, but that's not supposed to be the end of the story. That the love we have received from God is meant to be displayed amongst one another, and that's exactly where John goes with it. He says, Therefore, love one another as Christ has loved us. And so because we have been loved by God, now we are called to love one another. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here by refusing to play the authority card. He wants Philemon to act in a particular way, and he he asks him to act in that way, but he does not demand that he act in that particular way. And so we see that godly ministry should be careful and should rarely command people. Jesus warns the apostles that they are not to lord it over them like the Gentiles lorded it over the people, but they are to serve. And so Paul here is an example of that. He's not lording it over Philemon, but rather he's seeking to serve Philemon. He entreats him or godly ministers often entreat people to act freely without that idea of compulsion. And this is not the only place Paul talks about that. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when he's talking about the offering that's going to go to the churches in Macedonia, he wants it to be freely given. This is not something he's commanding them to give. It was meant to be a free will offering, one that comes from the heart and not from, so to speak, compulsion or by force. And so pastors need to be very careful about when they play the role of authority. Most often we need to play the the role of loving entreater. And so I entreated (laughs) our former treasurer. I tried to make arguments with her, recognizing that he was an orphan, What better way than to help an orphan? But she saw it more as helping Amy and myself as opposed to helping the child we would hope to bring into our home. So my entreaties rooted in love fell upon deaf ears, so to speak. Notice all of the relational language that is also here. 
Paul is very concerned about the relationships in this letter. He's concerned about his relationship with Philemon. He has love and respect for Philemon. He's concerned about his relationship with Onesimus that is is relatively new. He has a great love and fondness for Onesimus. In fact, he calls him my child. I am his father. There's family language here that shows the intensity of the relationship and the bond and the love that is characterized there. Not only that, but Paul is concerned about the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And so there's three relationships, and Paul wants all of these to be characterized by love. And so he says, not simply, I am sending Onesimus to you, but he says, I am sending my very heart. It pained Paul to send Onesimus back to Colossae. And Philemon. So this basis of love is uh, rooted in all of these relationships. And so Paul appeals on this basis to Philemon, who, as we saw earlier, was known for his love. It's funny that he's appealing on the basis of love for Philemon to show love when Philemon is known for showing love. But Paul recognizes that sometimes Things get in the way of us showing love to other people. And he wants Philemon to remember this. Not by compulsion. Again, Paul is not forcing his hand. And one of the ways we see it's not compulsion is that he actually sends Onesimus back. Okay, this is not, you know, a two hour drive in a car. This is not a four hour flight in an airplane. He's most likely traveling all the way from Rome to Colossae by boat. And he sends him back. He's not forcing his hand because it would have been easy just to send a letter and ask, hey, you know, uh, all of these things have happened. Onesimus is here with me. Would it be okay if he stays here? (laughs) He sends him back in the hopes that Philemon will send him back. I guess I wouldn't want to be Onesimus. He's going to, he might log a lot of hours on a boat here uh, and, and waste a lot of money. But Paul is, is not asking for forgiveness. He's asking for permission. And I know, friends, that's a popular phrase. Better to ask forgiveness than permission. Paul would disagree with that. And he proves it in how he responds to this particular situation. The reason he wants Onesimus to remain among him is that he wants Onesimus to serve him on Philemon's behalf. There's a reason why we read from Philippians 2. And that's because it talks about Epaphroditus, who served Paul in prison on behalf of the Philippians. He was their emissary. They, they had sent him there with a gift. And not only was he bringing a gift, but he himself was a gift. And Paul ends up sending him back to Philippi precisely because they had heard of how seriously ill Epaphroditus had become. And he didn't want them to worry. Again, he cares about these people. He's not just caring about, oh, wow, you know, Epaphroditus is here to take care of me. He's worried about the church in Philippi that was worrying about Epaphroditus and sends him back. So in a similar way, he, he would like Onesimus to serve him on Philemon's behalf. But he asks. He does not demand. 
Now, part of what's interesting in this is that if you go to Deuteronomy 23, you read this. You shall not give up to his master a slave that has, who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your own towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. Now, Deuteronomy 23 was written with respect to a foreign slave. The owner was in another country, and the slave flees to Israel, and what they were to do is not send him back. They were to welcome him amongst their people, to provide him with sanctuary and with rest. Roman law, on the other hand, required that Paul send him back. (laughs) Paul chooses to restore the relationships that exist and not destroy the relationships even further. And so he sends him back. And so in a sense, he recognizes that Deuteronomy 23 doesn't really apply in this particular situation. But there's something here. We have to recognize that such appeals to love are often risky. They're risky because the other person might not agree with how you see things. Just as my treasurer, former treasurer, didn't agree with me on how I saw things. The appeal to love didn't work. So it's risky, which is why a lot of people avoid it. But that is really to what be what motivates our interactions with one another. Not the quest to get our way but to preserve the community of love. And so the church, greatly loved by Christ, is to be marked and motivated by love. Secondly, the gracious community trusts, trusts Christ to work. I probably ought to repeat that since you don't have that there. The gracious community trusts Christ to work. There were a lot of unexpected events that took place here. First off, Philemon did not expect Onesimus to leave his household. Much less, I'm sure, he didn't expect Philemon, uh, sorry, Onesimus to ever come back, especially with a letter from Paul. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot here that, you know, we would not to be expected. Onesimus left, most likely hoping to get Paul's help, but he didn't expect to be found by Paul's God. He did not go to find salvation in Jesus Christ through the words of Paul. He went just to get Paul's help. But he found something greater. And so Paul notes here that perhaps he parted from you for a little while that you might have him back forever. Which points us to the reality of God's providence God's control, and that though there are things that at first instance are evil, Onesimus did evil by running away, God brings good out of them. We see this particularly in the story we read from Genesis. Joseph's brothers did evil. They intended evil. They wanted wanted their brother dead, but God 
overrode them, so to speak, brought good out of the evil they intended. His intention was to save many lives from the upcoming famine, and so he sent Joseph ahead of everyone else to rise with with power and wisdom to a place in the government of Egypt where he could actually enact a plan to save many people, including the very brothers whose life was forfeit for man-stealing because they sold them into slavery when they had no right to. What a gracious God who turns our evil sometimes into very good things. God turned the evil of Onesimus in running away from whatever problem they had into the very good of saving his soul. Bringing salvation to Onesimus. And so this is why William Cooper wrote, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. This is why we as a church really must cling to what we find in Romans 8.28. We must know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There are experiences and trials that we will undertake that will seem hard, that will be initiated perhaps by sin even, and we have to know that God is going to be at work in them to bring good out of them because of his love for us who love him in return. That has to be really a foundational sort of thing for the life of a church as well as for lives of individual Christians. Because there are many things that are going to happen in the life of the church that, that you're going to what? Why is God doing this? Why is this so hard? And we're going to have to trust that God will bring good out of that which seems so difficult. Because it is precisely in the trial that we cannot see what God is doing and therefore we are called to trust. Let's get back to the story of the treasurer. I decided that my relationship with her was more important than the money we could have gotten. So I arranged for a friend in another church, to uh, that church to receive the, this money and establish a needy children's fund that was there. Essentially washed my hands of the scenario instead of forcing my way through it. But you know what? That became incredibly difficult. Because a few months later, we had to pay a bunch of money in the referral fee for the child who would be Eli. Man, that money would have been nice. <laughs> Getting ready to, you know, to prepare to go to um, China. And, and what was going to happen was initially um, we asked one of Amy's old roommates to go with her because I couldn't go. I was going to stay home with Jaden. And we were like, well, well, since you're helping us, we'll pay for you to go. Okay? Boy, that money really would have been nice as we were thinking about that. But that's just in the midst. When we got to the end, what we saw is God did an amazing thing we never would have expected and never would have anticipated. Because at one point, her friend Wendy said, you know, I think I've got, from flying back and forth to Korea, I might have enough miles to take care of my airfare. You don't need to worry about that. So she goes on the phone. She does all this stuff. And next thing we know, there's a phone call from Wendy saying, hey, Amy, guess what? Not only is my airfare covered, but so is yours. We didn't have to worry about it. 
God in his love and his providence took care of it, even though we couldn't anticipate it. And so it just reminds us of the, the need we have to trust, even though what's going on does not make sense at a particular point in time. And even if it hadn't turned out that way, it still would have turned out okay. This is why William Cooper went on to write, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. He remembers that we tend to be very fearful, that we're afraid that the storm will destroy us, When in fact, he says, those clouds we dread, they're going to bring blessing. And so in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your your toil and affliction, whatever it might be, we are to remember that God is at work, not just to bring blessing to us, but to change us. Verse 29 in Romans 8. That's part of his process to make us more like Jesus. And when we're in the midst of that, we don't recognize that that's what God is really doing. And we have a hard time trusting him. And so I implore you, I entreat you, as Paul would say, to trust him in the midst of these things. This gets back to those appeals to love. They only make sense in an environment in which you trust Christ with the outcome. If you're not live in in an ongoing faith in Christ to work, not just in the circumstances, but also to work in other people, then you will never make the appeal to love. You will always make the demand. And so it is this faith in Christ who works that frees us to make these appeals to love. Philemon learns that a big change has happened. Not only is Onesimus back, but Onesimus is a different man. Paul reminds him, he was useless to you. Christless Onesimus was a useless, unprofitable servant. He was probably a thorn in Philemon's side most days. Some of you may have had those people at work. <laughs> they never seem to get anything done. They're always causing problems. Okay, there's, if there's a conflict, they're probably involved in it somehow, some way. Just think, Onesimus. You know, maybe Philemon was thinking, he's gone. <laughs> I don't have to deal with him anymore. We don't know. But we do know that Paul declares that he was a worthless servant a worthless slave to him. (sighs) Now he is indeed useful to you and to me. In Christ, Onesimus has become useful. This reminds us that faith bears fruit Because Christ is at work in us. Christ, who was the obedient servant, as we see in Philippians 2, makes Onesimus an obedient servant. Apparently it happened quite quickly. 
often sanctification doesn't happen that quickly. But for him, it did, such that Paul now embraces him in this way. And so your past record is not as important as Christ's powerful work in you. I want to tell you a story briefly about someone else who was useless. John Newton. Talk about useless. Impressed into the Navy, the British Navy, he ended up getting kicked off of two ships because he was such an obstinate, stubborn, rebellious troublemaker. Two captains said, uh, you know, take him. I'll be done with him. And so he was swapped for other sailors who the other captain found to be too much of a hassle. And so not only does he, he, is he that much of a problem, but then he gets involved in the slave trade. What a worthless occupation. And yet God, after his conversion, makes such a fundamental change in John Newton's life that it is because of those experiences as a slave trader that he now has the information that William Wilberforce will need to begin to destruct the slave trade. It was John Newton himself who encouraged Wilberforce to take this task upon him, knowing it would be difficult. And so he was always being his cheerleader. But he was also providing him with wisdom and knowledge to accomplish his goals. And so with worthless John Newton became very useful in the hands of Jesus Christ to set millions of people free from literal, physical bondage. That's what Jesus does. And so if you're lamenting your past record, don't worry. Christ can still use you. He doesn't give up. He's not really concerned about your past as much as you are, he can make a useful, a useless person like John Newton into a very useful person. And so the church, which is greatly loved by Jesus, trusts Jesus to accomplish his purposes in its midst. midst. Thirdly, hopefully shortly as well, the gracious community gives the grace they've gotten. The gracious community gives the grace that they have gotten. Lots of G's today. In particular, pardoning grace, which is what I want to talk about. As uh, Jared Wilson notes in his book, The Justification, The Pastor's Justification, um, it's not enough to talk about grace. People will come to your church because they hear the message of grace, but if they, do, if they don't have, see an environment of grace, then they're going to leave. Okay, and so... The grace we've received is meant to be kind of played out in the life of the congregation, and, and that's, why, that's when people stick around. You can say about, you can talk about grace of God all you want from the pulpit, but if you don't display any to anybody, no one's going to stick around. Okay? Paul says this specifically in this respect receive him as you would receive me. He knew Philemon would, would welcome him warmly. After all, Philemon owes his very life to Paul in Christ. This points us to the reality of our union in Christ. It matters in very real, very practical sorts of ways. 
We welcome, we accept, we receive others as if they were Christ. And that was what Paul told the Romans to do. Chapter 15, verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Not on the merits or demerits of their life with you, but on the basis of Christ's merit for you all. Welcome them. Just as Philemon was to welcome Onesimus. Now the problem between them was not ignored by Paul. It's not like he's just stuffing things under the rug here. He mentions them. He brings them up. He says, if there are wrongs that have been done, if there's sin that has taken place, if there are debts that have been incurred, if he owes you anything, Paul is bringing up the reality of sin that took place between Onesimus and Philemon, particularly the sin of Onesimus. This is true in every church. There are going to be wrongs that are done. There are going to be debts that are owed. We will have misunderstandings. We will have hurt feelings. We will have sins. This is why in our um, membership class, I talk. I hammer this one. Those of you who've been there recently, I, I hope you didn't feel hammered, but I, I repeated that a lot. Okay, you're going to be sinned against, and you're going to sin against. Let's just admit that fact, and now let's see what we're supposed to do with it. Paul says, charge that to my account. Paul accepts the debts of his son as if he had been adopted by Paul himself. He says, I will repay you. He says, see, I'm writing this in my own hand. (laughs) You'll recognize my handwriting. It's the same as in the other letter. Okay, you compare it if you want to. This is not some hoax perpetrated on you by Onesimus. I will repay you. He accepts these debts. Now, I'm not sure if this refers to the initial debt, why Onesimus was his slave in the first place. He may have been uh, a slave because he was in debt and sold himself into slavery. So it might have to do with that, or it might have to do with um, anything he may have stolen in order to travel his way to Rome. We're not sure exactly why. Paul is not specific, so I'm not going to be specific. But there's the recognition that when you forgive, that means that you absorb the loss and the debt. I'm, I'm sure Philemon didn't imagine that. You know, Paul was actually going to pay him back since he threw in that thing about, hey, by the way, you owe me your very life. But Tim Keller notes that when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. All forgiveness then is costly. It's not just sweeping things under the rug. Someone must absorb the debt. It's not just wiped clean. And we know, of course, that Christ upon the cross has absorbed our debt the debt that we owed to God. Jesus paid that debt in his blood, and now we are to release others to forgive as well. This is a consistent drumbeat in Scripture. Matthew 6, after the Lord's Prayer, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive you. Later in Matthew 18, he tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. And the the point of this is is found in verse uh, 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
The pardoning grace we have received is meant to be passed on to those who sin against us. He does not want Philemon to be like the older brother in the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Ah, another little parallel there, isn't it? He doesn't want Philemon to, to withhold love and acceptance from Onesimus. Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so, I had a problem. It wasn't just the fact that we didn't get the money. It was now the problem was I had to make sure that I forgave her. So that her action did not result in a breaking of our relationship and friendship. And that became difficult in, you know, while well, you're in the story, not at the end of the story. All of those opportunities come up to feel the pain of the fact that, man, I can't go and get that four or $5,000 out of the bank account. That's not there. Amy and I had to absorb the loss. And say, essentially, without saying it, we forgive you. We've never said that to her, but we did. <laughs> when we left Florida, we stopped, saw her and her husband, had a had a, a you know a good time talking with them and saying goodbye. We refused to let finances come in the midst of friendship, precisely because we took what God says here seriously and had experienced the grace of God ourselves. Now sometimes what happens is that love covers sin, 1 Peter 4. Okay, we didn't bring it up. We just covered it over. Love, cover that sin. Not going to deal with it. So there's times when you just kind of let it go. You forgive the debt. But if you can't let it go, if you're struggling with letting it go, and you're finding that it's, it's become, becoming a problem between the two of you, that's when you need to sit down and talk with them. If you can't move on, that's when you have to sit down and talk about it. Bring up the ugly realities and find the grace of Christ in the midst of them. Paul ends with this idea here. This last plea to Onesimus. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul wants him to do for Paul what he has done for so many others. And that's sort of like the bookends of this main section. He refreshed those, all those other people. Now he want, Paul wants to be refreshed by the welcoming of Onesimus. Verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now refresh my heart. Quite tender for Paul. So Christ, 
by His work on the cross and the Spirit in applying that work creates a community of grace. We who are in that community of God, by God's grace are intended to interact with one another depending on that same grace. And this means at least three things that we've talked about. It means being marked and motivated by love because we've been loved. It means trusting the Christ who died to save us to work in others. It means extending forgiveness to one another just as we have received forgiveness from God. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that no church can survive for long without these marks of God's grace. But the ones that have these marks shall indeed be happy and holy places. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the way in which Paul addressed Philemon. Thank You for the example that Paul lays out for us. Thank You for the grace of God in Jesus Christ that enabled Paul to do that. That was the foundation for Paul to say these things. That it was that same grace of God in Jesus Christ that enabled Philemon to respond and the way that he did. And we thank you that that same grace is available to us. And so, Father, I ask that you would continue to pour out that upon us so that we who are known by our love will be known even more by our love. That we who are known by trust can even trust you even more. That we who have been forgiven will be known for our forgiveness towards others. And that in this way, the, the life of the body is preserved to the glory of your Son. May it be so amongst us. In Christ's name, amen.